Thank you, Matt, choir, Dodd, and our student drama team. Thank you guys for opening us up this morning in worship. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 15 as we continue our series. Um, Josh is at a family wedding, and um, we wanted to continue our series. And he asked me, he said, you want to do it just a one-off? You want to continue the Luke, the Luke series? I said, well, I'd like to continue Luke series. Let's see what it's on. And he pointed to Luke chapter 15, and I'm like, oh yeah, that chapter can basically preach itself. And so I'm really honored to, uh, to be before you this morning um, preaching out of this wonderful chapter. Um, a few years ago, my family and I went to the beach. And going to the beach is, a, is an ordeal for us. Um, we almost have to pack a tractor trailer full of stuff. And um, one of the things that I had with me, I wanted to take a metal detector. I know that sounds like a, a kind of a geeky thing, but I was watching a, one of those reality shows, and I just so mentioned to Jessica, my wife, I'd like to have one of those metal detectors one day. And so guess what? She got me one for a birthday anniversary or something. So anyway, um, we uh, got the metal detector, and, and it wasn't really planning on using it because I, the sign was at the, the beach that said no metal detectors allowed there. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of a bummer. And, uh, and so anyway, we were getting ready to go eat. And you guys know if you go to the beach, you have to plan ahead to go eat about two hours ahead. And so we, we decided on a place. And so I noticed though, over the balcony, I noticed some people that were, had been playing volleyball and they had stopped playing volleyball and they were looking for something in the sand. I mean, they were on their knees. And I'm like, those people have lost something. And it never really occurred to me. So we left and we went to go eat and we came back. And it was not dark, but it was dusk. Walked down the back and again, and there they were. This time with flashlights, just raking. I'm like, I've got a metal detector. I'm going to go and see what I can do. So I went down and, and um, this family had, um, the mom of the family had lost her wedding ring. They're playing volleyball and it just slipped off. And I'm like, what's the chance of me actually finding this thing with this metal detector? And so I told him, I said, look, I'll help you guys out. So we, we, we swept it one good time, and I'm thinking, does this thing even work? And so I took a coin out and buried it in the sand and made sure it worked, and, and we kept swinging back and forth, and finally it, it, it beeped one time. And I stopped, and I kind of dug around a little bit, and this little ring popped out of the sand. And of course, the place went nuts. I mean, they, they were literally grabbing, they grabbed it and the, 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 the mom ran around in circles and, and the, the sons were up, yelling up and down and everything. And all of a sudden they picked me up, started throwing me up in the air, <laughs> put me on their shoulders. And I, of course, I've got my metal detector, like, <sighs> you know, and we found it. And so if you was to walk up on the beach and see that, you would get a, it'd, it'd be a sight. Um, and so anyway, and what's so interesting about the story, they were asking me where they're from. They're from the Inslee area. And, um, and they said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a minister. And then the, the wife said this, it took a shepherd to find what was lost. I'm like, well, I don't know if, if that would be a great, we're going to bless you with something. I said, oh no, ma'am, this will make it into a sermon illustration. You have already blessed me. Um, and so, um, so anyway, uh, she did actually later on that night, I believe, uh, she knocked on our door and, and uh, gave us some change. She didn't have to do that, but she did. Uh, Luke chapter 15 uh, is one of those times in the, that basically where, where Jesus 
is telling us about this incredible message of being once lost and now found. One thing about the, 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 these parables is we kind of sometimes skip over the first two verses. And we go right into either the lost coin, the shepherd, or the parable about the lost son. Here's the thing about this chapter. If you don't get the first two verses down, you really have lost the context of the entire chapter. And so the whole key to this chapter hinges on those who are at the table to hear Jesus and these three parables. And so I'm going to set the table for us this morning. I'm going to go back and we're going to go back to this table a couple of times to basically understand what's going on here as Jesus is, is actually preaching through this sermon at, the, at this table. In the first verse, now tax collectors and sinners, chapter 15, verse 1, now tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. They're all drawing near to hear him. First of all, what is a tax collector? And we all know that Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man is he, climbed up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And so um, we, we hear about Zacchaeus being this wee little man and is a tax collector. And that tax collectors basically took money from people. Um, they, they actually would, would take money, extra money from people. And so they were bad people. That is a very shallow interpretation of what a tax collector really is. If you would imagine with me just for a minute, this is saying an invading force come in and invaded the United States. And we are now occupied by this horrible regime. This regime has come into this, the United States. They have beaten us. They have raped our women. And they've killed our children. Which was the Roman Empire, by the way. That's what the Roman Empire basically went into an area and they would murder people to get what they wanted. Now, in this particular time in Jesus' day, you had to be able to control the landmass that Rome actually occupied. And some people say it was from England all the way to Siberia. It was just a huge occupation of, of land. And so the way they, they, they had to have an army. And so they would have this, these tax collectors that would literally be people of those nations. And so imagine the occupied army have come into the United States They've killed our, our people. They've raped our women. And now someone down the road from you that you've known all your life is a tax collector for that army. Your neighbor is now taking money to be able to fund the occupying army. That's what a tax collector was. And so Zacchaeus, wee little man, was a really bad guy. It's the kind of guy you just want to throat punch. It's the kind of guy you just really want to take out and just really rough him up a little bit. So these tax collectors were not just mealy-mouthed people. They were really bad folks. They were not allowed to, in the synagogues, they were, not, they were not to partake in Jewish traditions. They were not allowed to hear the Torah read. They were literally treated like an outcast. And so for Jesus to, to, to for them to draw near to Jesus was a big deal. And then we have the sinners, the second group of people we have at this table we have the sinners. Now, it's not necessarily sinners of our day because we, we kind of throw that term around a little bit. We say, well, we're all sinners, aren't we? We're all sinners. But the, back in Jesus' day, it was a class of people. In Jesus' day, it was a class of people that could not partake in different things. Um, in Jesus' day, they were either diseased, crippled. They were prostitutes, slave traders. 
or Jews that had simply just broken the law. Those were sinners. And so they're a different class of people. Verse 2 says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So there's the third group. First group, you have the tax collectors. Second group, you have the sinners. Then there's this third group. They're the religious group. It says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They were the professional scholars. You couldn't outdo these guys. They had the Torah memorized. You think you know your Bible? Mm Mm-mm. These guys knew their Bible. You think that you're righteous by getting up early in the morning? No, they've been praying all day. They were extremely ultra-legalistic in their view of church, in their view of things the way things were supposed to be. And so you have this third group here. So you have tax collectors, you have sinners, and you also have the Pharisees and the scribes. So in one gathering before Jesus, you have strippers, you have pornographers, you have the self-righteous church people, and you have them all together in one life group. How would you like to be leading that one? And you have Jesus, he's, he's there at this table, he's there, and they're all listening, they're all drawing near. Let me tell you why I think this is so important. For the church today, for our church today, if we're going to be a place that exists to bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world, we have to be a people who understand that the church is going to get a little messy. It's going to get a little messy. Because here's what we have coming. We have people coming from all walks of life. Today, we have people in this room that have come from all walks of life. You have come in here And there's things going on in your life that no one knows about. Jesus does. You may be the tax collector. That churchgoer that that sees things differently than everyone else. You cringe at certain things. You may be the sinner. You may be locked down in sin, a habitual sin that you just can't seem to to get rid of. You may be the tax collector. That person that is this complete outcast that is publicly looked down on. And so you have all walks of life. The parable in Luke 15 has three similar pictures if put together complete a large picture. Um, My parents, they're here, that my parents used to have this um, picture um, when we lived in Birmingham. They may remember this, but it was three pictures. And if you would take them and separate them and put them on another wall, you would think, oh, that's a pretty picture. But if you were just to put them together, they'd make a big landscape. That is Luke 15. It is separate, different parables, but one story. One story. Um, The three stories have one singular point, and this is in your notes. There is grace, mercy, and forgiveness for the tax collector, sinner, and religious. There is grace, mercy, and forgiveness for the tax collector, sinners, and the religious. We want to always remember that. Now, I want to give you a little side note. In your notes, um, there will be these capitalized U's before your blank. Ignore those. We're not sure how they got there. And so just take a little pen and scratch those out. Uh, the first blank, though, is the shepherd reveals the rescuing 
nature of Jesus Christ. So we're going to enter into the first parable. The shepherd reveals the rescuing nature of Jesus Christ. Verse 3. So he had told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not have, does not leave the 99 to open to in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Verse six. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Jesus compares us to sheep often in the scriptures. And he does in this particular instance here. That is not a compliment. Sheep are dumb. Um, They're not very smart. You can train a horse. Trent, am I right? You can train a horse. Um, You can train a dog. You can train all kinds of animals, but you cannot train a sheep. You just can't do it. They're, they're ignorant. They're, they're not smart. And Jesus compares us here to sheep. They're defenseless. A horse can run, a wolf can bite, a cat can scratch, but they're completely defenseless animals. Like sheep need a shepherd, we need a shepherd to God, protect, and lift us up. Because we are like sheep. We need Jesus. We need him in our life. We need him actively in our life. Now, let's go back to the table for a minute. Let's go back to the table. If you're a sinner or a tax collector and you're listening to this this parable just read, and you're thinking there's no way God could love me, even if I came to him, there's no way God could love me. There's no way that he could forgive me. I'm outside of his will. That God is, is a God of judgment because that's what they have been taught. As a matter of fact, there's, there's going to be a day that I'm going to have with God and it's not going to be pleasant. So if you're a sheep that got lost, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you. I would not leave it up to you to come to me. I'm coming to get you. So when I find you, I'm not going to call you a little dumb sheep. I'm going to put you on my shoulders. I'm going to carry you. I'm going to rejoice. And we're going to have a party. That's what happens. And that's what these tax collectors and that's what these sinners were understanding. The light bulbs were going off. So wait a minute. This is a different message. This is a completely different message than what I have heard my entire life. Verse 7. Let's go back to that one. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That was a zinger toward the Pharisees. This is what got Jesus killed. I often wondered... Why would you kill a man that heals? You'd kind of want him to kind of hang around, wouldn't you? Why would you kill someone that raised people from the dead? This is what got him killed. 
The Pharisees believe there's, there's more celebration over their goodness than the repentance of those who are wicked. And they just found out that wasn't true. It just completely busted their worldview wide open. And that's what eventually gets Jesus in trouble. Let's go to the lost coin. Verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Verse 9. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Have you ever lost your keys? It's annoying, isn't it? Some of our students have these little tiles. I don't know if you guys have seen those or not. They, 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 they put them on there and your iPhone can literally find it. Um, very resourceful group over here. You might want to talk to them about those things. Um, I lose my keys all the time. You can ask my wife. It's ridiculous. It, it really is. Um, I will literally put them in places that is just the craziest places. I think we found them in the refrigerator one day. Um, whenever you lose something, sometimes we have tore the house up. And I know we've all been there. We've, we've literally tore the house completely up trying to find it. In this particular story, the woman shows the revealing nature of the Holy Spirit. That's your next blank. The woman shows the revealing nature of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. In order to find her coin, the woman lit a candle. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart. He wants to light a candle in your heart. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, Therefore don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to each one from God. So this woman has been searching her home. She lights a light and then she's been searching her home. She's been tearing this place up. Through conviction, the Holy Spirit will search and stir up the filth and dirt in your life to reveal, to reveal your condition. Romans 8, 27 says, And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind and spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Like this coin, an unsaved man is lost in darkness and filth and disgrace of his sin. Verse 10, Just so I tell you, there is joy before angels of God over one sinner who repents. One sinner who repents. Repentance is in the parable. It's there. You can't get away from it. But what we see at the table is Jesus receiving sinners and eating with them. Jesus is seeking the heart of God, going after sinners and winning our repentance. We must repent. We must repent. And we must be quick to do it. Quick to do it. What's amazing is he hasn't left us alone in that. He hasn't left us alone. He, he has taken bold initiatives to reach us and to change us. And that's what these, that's what these parables are, are teaching us. Now let's go back to the table one more time. So the tax collector and the sinner feels useless. They've heard this parable 
And it's like, man, I'm just a silver coin. You can't buy much with a silver coin. So they're, they're probably more likely thinking monetarily. You can't buy much with a silver coin. Look at the nine coins. Can you imagine what you can get for nine coins? You can't get much with one silver coin. But one silver coin, that's like change. That's just like a little change in your, in your couch. And Jesus goes, no. I'll tear the house up looking for that one coin. I have plenty, but I'll tear the house to pieces looking for the one. So in his word is this, come to the table and repent. Open your eyes and see that the banquet of being with Jesus is worth the cost of following him. And so there was one sheep out of a hundred, one coin out of 10. God has a universe to run. Think about this for a second. He has a universe to run. He has stars to hold in his hand. And he is more concerned about one coin than he is about the entire universe. One soul. One soul. When one sinner repents, there's an epic party in heaven. We see this over and over again in these parables. Let's move to to the lost son. We're going to spend a bulk of our time in this one because it's kind of a longer one. So, What's different about the parable of the lost son is that the misery of his lostness is explained in more detail. The misery of his lostness is explained in in, in great detail. And the nature of his repentance is also explained. And the passion, what's so great about this, is the passion of the father's more fully, as far as his passion to reach out, is explained in more detail. And so this parable is not just about receiving the lost son. I wanted to contend to you that it's also about receiving the son that was already there. So we oftentimes, we kind of skip over the the son that was already there. And we we concentrate on that lost son because he was the one that was found. And so what we're going to see here in just a minute is that Jesus was more concerned about both of them. So the younger son, this is what happens in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. In other words, he becomes basically a slave who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So the younger son blew it. He took the inheritance, went off to a far country and just blew everything. Just blown it completely. Running away from God. 
starts by feeling free and always ends in bondage. That's what running away from God will do. It will always, you'll think you're free and all of a sudden you'll get into this bondage. Younger people, you need to remember that. So he's totally enslaved to his addictions and he's in this pig pen. Verse 17. When he, but when he came to himself, I love this. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I knew I was busted or caught, this is what I'd do. I'd rehearse it. This is what I'm going to say. On the way home, this is what I'll tell them. And maybe, th- maybe this will work. Not too sure, but that's what's going on right here. When he came to himself, when he realized, man, I'm messed up, I will arise and go to my God and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned. So he's gotten to to the end of himself and he's decided, even my father's servants live better than this. And he comes home after this really nasty experience. He comes home and he has this speech rehearsed. I'm going to tell my father I'm not worthy to be your son. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. If you will just let me be your servant. How many of us have ever been there before? If you you would just let me back in. Verse 20. And he arose and came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father in this story, he doesn't listen to that nonsense at all. He doesn't even, he doesn't even really go there. He immediately hugs him, kisses him, welcomes him home, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, and kills the fat cow. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, which is a sign of royalty and family, and put on him of the ring on his hand, which is a sign of authority, and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And they began to celebrate. This means we're having steak for dinner tonight. I'm not talking about Logan's, y'all. I'm talking about Bethel Baptist Church men's night out kind of throwdown. I'm talking about that thing was that thick. So that's what happens when one person comes to Christ, when one person comes back to Christ. There's a huge party that goes down. Now we get to the older brother. He didn't run away. You notice he was there, he didn't run away, he was out in the field. And he started coming up on this scene. And I've, I've read this over and over again. I, I can't help but to kind of chuckle sometimes when I read this. You've got to realize that the, 
This older brother, he was a rule follower. He was our legalist. He was the one that was there. He was the one that crossed all his T's and dotted all his I's and made sure he followed the rules. Now, the older brother, in verse 25, now the older brother, our older son, was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. Music and dancing. This party had escalated. Now they got a DJ. Okay, he's in the field and he hears it. Okay, I don't know how far that is, but he hears it. He's like, what's up with this? And he walks up on this field and he draws near to this house. Verse 26, and he called one of the servants. Notice that he did not listen to me. Notice that he did not go talk to the dad. He asked one of the servants, what do these things mean? Verse 27, and he said to him, your younger brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And verse 28, but, the, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. I want you to notice that. The father came out and entreated him. You think maybe the father kind of had an inkling that maybe this might happen? I don't know. But it was almost as if he didn't go to the father. He went to the servant. The father came out and entreated him. Verse 29. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 30. But when this son of yours, hear the language there, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Our frustration sometimes with religious, self-righteous people is fine. Stay outside and pout. At least that's my frustration at times. Fine, you want to go, take your goat outside. We're having a party in here. Man, there's steak and it's yours. That's sometimes our attitude toward religious people. We live in the Bible Belt, if y'all haven't noticed. I might go as far as to say there's probably a lot of religious people in this room. There's a lot of older brothers that's possibly in here. Now, that is how some of us feel and treat those that are religious and self-righteous. But that is not, listen to me, that is not the Father's attitude. That's not Jesus' attitude. The Father shows the receiving nature of God the Father. That's your last blank. The Father shows the receiving nature of God the Father. He received the younger brother and he also received the older brother. Some people rebel against God with drugs, alcohol, 
Some people will rebel against God with legalistic, a legalistic view of church. Let me say that one more time. Some people rebel against God with drugs and maybe even alcohol and sinful things. And some people rebel against God with, with a legalistic view of church. Now let's go back to the table for a second. Jesus, looking over the heads of sinners and tax collectors, he's looking at the hardness of the Pharisees right at their face. And this is what he's saying to them in this parable. All that is mine is yours. All that is mine is yours. You obeying all the rules don't make you less of a sinner and makes you no less than wicked than the tax collector. You just have a different idol. And some of us have to get over ourselves and fall in love with Jesus all over again. Now, the glory of God is seen when everyone at the table, this is the beautiful part about this, the glory of God is seen when everyone at the table repents, even the Pharisees, the tax collectors, and they all celebrate the forgiveness made available to them through Christ Jesus. Then they serve one another and walk with one another, free of judgment, worshiping Jesus. That is the church. That's the church. We come from different places. We come from different backgrounds. Some of us have different areas of our life that we've sinned. Some of us were born in the church. I mean, your mom carried you and you just all of a sudden just bam. You were already here. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I want my kids to be saved early. I don't want them to have to go through the garbage I went through. But when we start applying a legalistic attitude, this is what happens. We take the tax collectors and and the sinners, and we keep them at arm's length. And we say, this is all ours. You stay out there. But that's not what the attitude of the Father. The attitude of the Father is, Come in. Join us. Join us. You see, the goat, I've often wondered about this. Why, why a goat? Why did he want to get a goat? They had, the, they had the, the fatted calf. Here's what we do. If we can't get what we want, we'll make up something that we think is better. This is, this is, we're going to take this right here and, and, and make it, and, and I'm going to get my friends together, and we're going to be just, just as good as y'all. That's what we do sometimes. So God's heart toward the self-righteous is, man, this is your party too. That is your fatted calf too. Get in here. He will fill our hearts with grace and compassion And this thing that is so important that we realize for the same devil that wars and destroys the tax collectors and sinners is warring against the older brother too. Lost and found sheep. 
party. Lost and found coin, a party. Lost and found son, a party. Jesus is inviting the Pharisees. He's inviting every one of us, sinners of all kinds, to come in. So here's the invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come in. So this morning, if you're here this morning, and you're like, man, Brad, that's, that's me. I'm at the table. I'm that tax collector. I'm that sinner. I'm that religious person that looks down on those others at the table with Jesus. And this is what Jesus is doing. Come to the table. Come to the table. And so I invite you this morning to come. Maybe you're a guest here. Maybe you've been coming here for some time and you're looking for a church. This is an awesome church. I love this church. Been here for 21 years. I was one of them sinners. They welcomed me in. They had to dust me off. They had to dunk me. But man, I'm here. Would you stand?